All right, we're going to try this again. This is now like the third or fourth time we've tried to start this thing. I don't know. This is Rob Cohen for uh, Book Therapy and a very special event that uh, all three of you who are listening get to experience after you uh, have already downloaded this from your iTunes or from booktherapy.podbean.com. But I am joined tonight by my daughter, Brooklyn. Say hi, Brooklyn. Hi. Um, Now, the reason why Brooklyn is here is because I made a deal with her. Um, you want to tell everybody what the deal was? So, when I was w- at Hanukkah, my grandmother got me um, a series of books, the first 10 books of Nancy Drew. And Daddy made a, um, a deal with me that if he, I read the first book, he would read it, and we would both do a podcast on it. Now, the reason why I made that offer to you is because you didn't really want to read the book. And in fact, you started it, you read the first page or two, um, weren't sure what it was about. The book does not have any type of a summary on it, right? No synopsis. So you have no idea what the book's about. And so this was kind of a way for me to get you to read the book with the idea that I'd read it and then we'd be able to talk about it, right? Yeah, of course. Now, I had a little bit of a, a heads up here about what the book was about because I did listen to a different podcast, mm-hmm. uh, the podcast of Literary Disco with my friend Todd Goldberg. He and his friends, they read the book. Um, and then they reviewed it. Now, of course, they're Todd's older than I am, and the other two people in the podcast are a little bit younger, right around the same age I am. So they had a different perspective on the book. But after having heard the episode, I got to learn a little bit more about what the book is about and then thought that it probably would be okay for you to read and um, figured that we should discuss it. Now, why did you not want to read the book in the first place? Because I was afraid it was going to be scary because some mysteries are scary, and I didn't want it to be that way. What what made you think that the book was going to be scary? Sometimes I judge a book by its cover. I look at it and say, that looks scary to me. I don't want to read it. But then if somebody talks me into reading it and I actually end up do reading it, I found it find out it's actually better than I thought. So why did you think that this book was going to be scary? Because the way that the front picture is is it looks like everything's dark the sky is dark behind nancy she's you it looks like an old clock the grass is growing tall it looks like a a scene that you wouldn't want to see so based on the cover it kind of looked like nancy was in some sort of a setting that she it was a scary setting she's in the dark it looks like she's worried about something um the title is a little bit uh not misleading it doesn't tell you anything it just tells you it's called the secret of the old clock and it could be anything of what the secret of the old clock is so yeah i I can understand that it would be a little bit scary but i mean you got to understand this these books have been read by nine and ten year old girls for the last 80 years um i'm sure that there's nothing in the book that's particularly (laughs) scary now now tell me did you find the book scary not really okay um, yeah, the, the book was originally written in the 1930s. That's cool. when that's when the Nancy Drew story started. Um, so things have changed a little bit since then. Um, but now that you've had a chance to read it, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a synopsis? What's the book about? The book is about Nancy Drew finds, meets a girl. And the girl and her two aunts, they are very poor and somebody promised them money and she meets a couple other people who have the same problem and it says that in a later will because the first will was sent to a bunch of a, a bunch of greedy not good people so then it was sent 
to them, and Nancy thinks there's a later will. So she goes on a whole journey trying to find the later will. So do you know what a, what a will is? It's like where you leave all your money to somebody once you die. You leave all your furniture. You say, so this person can have this, and this person can have that, and you can have 10% of my money. You can have 5%, that kind of thing. So in this story, the, the old person who passed away, Josiah Crowley, he had a will. And the will said that everything was to go to these family members who um, Nancy happens to know two of the girls, um, but, and she doesn't think very highly of them, does she? In fact, they don't get along at all. Um, but so this will that was discovered says that everything goes to these mean people. And yet Nancy meets this little girl who she ends up saving from a car crash of some sort. She's going to drown in a river after having jumped away from a car that was going to hit her. And she finds out that a lot of people believe that there was another will that was written after that other, after that will, and that Josiah Crowley decided he wanted to leave his money to other people. Correct? Of course. He wanted to split up his will for all these poor people who he helped out. Okay. And... Let me ask you this question. You find this out about this will, what, like on page three? Page two or three, all right? What, what's the first thing that happens? The first thing that happens is Nancy is driving down in her dark blue convertible on a, on a not very suburban street. It's kind of isolated. There's not very many houses on the street. So she sees a little girl running across the street, and there's a big moving van truck that's just driving away right in front of her. And Nancy gets out of her car, or Nancy watches the girl run, and she trips over a curb, and she falls down. So Nancy goes and helps her, and she meets the people who own the girl. They're the aunts of the girl. And they find out that they... And Nancy finds out that they are very poor, and she wants to help them. So she goes on the whole journey to find it. So does it strike you as odd? Because Nancy didn't know this little girl before, right? She didn't. Her name is Judy. She didn't know Judy. Never seen her before. Didn't know her. And so she saves Judy. She picks her up in her arms, and she brings her back into the house where her two aunts, Mary and uh, Edna. Edna, are. And Mary and Edna are so happy that she's rescued Judy and Judy's okay. And then they mention to, to Nancy that they have no money and that they're supposedly beneficiaries of this will, right? Have you, told, have you ever told anybody whether you have money or not? No. So doesn't it strike as a little odd that they don't know Nancy at all and yet within the first six pages of the book... Mary and Edna are telling Nancy basically their whole entire life story, including the fact that they don't have any money and that they expect they're going to be inheriting from this guy that they're not related to? I think the reason is because they trust Nancy because Nancy saved Judy. And they think Nancy's a really nice person. And from what we find out later in the book, she is a very nice person and she likes to help all kinds of different people. I don't disagree with you. Nancy is a tremendously nice person. But during the first five pages of the book, what is she to them? She's a stranger. I mean, can you imagine walking down the street, finding a stranger who looks nice and saying, hey, I want to let you know something. I don't have any money. But so-and-so, my, my good friend Josiah just died, and I believe that he had a will and I'm named in it. Now, 
if you were to do that today, in 2015, what do you think people would think of you? They would think I'm really crazy. Right. Isn't that weird? Okay, but but this doesn't happen just this once time. This happens multiple times during the book, right? I think I know why. Because they trusted Nancy because some person who's selfish wouldn't go get Judy and bring her into the house. Come on. If 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 <laughs> it doesn't take a special breed of person to go rescue a little girl if she's going to fall into a river. You're going to do it because you're a good person. It doesn't mean you're trustworthy. But here's the reason why. Because other than this, other than the scenario where Nancy does something for Mary and Edna and they feel comfortable telling her the story about the will, how else would Nancy have found out about the will? Well, if she... Now, if she got more, like, evolved into the ladies and she got more, she became their friends. And then she asked other people and somebody who know Josiah Crowley very well. Um, he Maybe it was, like, a lawyer that he used. That, uh, jo- and he said, and Nancy asked him, Did, do you know if there was anybody, if there was a later will and who was mentioned in it? And he says, well... The Hoover sisters were mentioned, and these t- brothers were mentioned in it, and this old lady, Abby Rowan, was mentioned in it. Oh, and I forgot, Mary and Edna and Judy Turner were mentioned in it. Oh, I, I understand that, but Nancy didn't know Josiah Crowley, right? She'd never heard the name before. Well, she'd seen him around town, and her dad, who's a lawyer, probably worked with people who knew him. So she kind of knew who he was, but she didn't know him face to face. And she, she wasn't out driving around looking for clues about Josiah Crowley. It wasn't as if he was on her mind. No, what happened was when they Mary and Edna told about the will, um, Judy or Nancy found all different people because they told uh, Mary and Edna told Nancy about other people who had helped Josiah or how who Josiah had helped. So she went to all these different houses, and once she had enough info information, she asked her dad. She asked people around town. She asked her, all her friends, and then she questioned the people who she had met. And she went on this long journey. I, I understand that, and that's we're going a little bit ahead of us, ourselves. What I'm I'm trying to suggest is that it's pretty far-fetched that Nancy would rescue Judy and that Mary and Edna, who had never met Nancy before, would feel so comfortable with Nancy that they would tell her that they don't have any money and that they're beneficiaries of a will that doesn't exist. It just seems like a weird conversation to have with somebody you, you just met. However, I think that it's important that scene is necessary in the book for one major reason. With, without that scene happening, Nancy would have no reason to continue the investigation. She, she would have no reason to look to other people. And the book wouldn't be what the book is. The book would be not as, what's the word, cool? Interesting? Yeah. Well, it's not that the book wouldn't be as cool or interesting. There would be no book. <laughs> there's, there's no reason for her to go on an investigation of something she doesn't know about. So, yeah. so. I, I, what I'm asking, what I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up for a reason, because at the end of the book, at the end of the book, the last page of the book, jumping to the very end, 
It concludes with this section. As Nancy stood looking wistfully at the old clock, she little dreamed that in the near future, she would be involved in The Hidden Staircase Mystery, a far more baffling case than the one she had just solved. So even at the end of this book, we know, the reader knows, there's going to be another book, right? So whoever wrote it, this is Carolyn Keene, she anticipated that this was going to be the first book in a series. So... If she's going to make this the first book in the series, why not write the first book with a more plausible story idea for the mystery? Instead of creating Edna and Mary Turner and the little girl Judy who almost gets hit by a truck, which happened to be the moving truck that actually stole the clock anyways, but we think, but she almost gets hit by a truck, almost falls in a river that Nancy happens to be driving by, that Nancy picks her up, walks into the house, and Mary and Edna decide to divulge the entire story to her. Why not write the story in a way that's more plausible, such as maybe Nancy's father, who's a lawyer, is handling an estate, and these people come in to meet with him and say, you know, we're a little confused. We thought that Josiah had a different will, and now we can't find it. Does that seem like it would be more reasonable? I think what they what the author was trying to do was lure the readers into the story without say without just jumping to some lawyer stuff that young kids wouldn't know about. Oh, so so are you saying the lawyers are boring? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that young children might not know exactly what um, a lawyer does. And as my dad told me, as you told me, you told me that um, that the book is pretty much just about what you work on. Yeah, that was why um, when I suggested you read it, I thought that it it held a particular appeal to me because it's very similar to what I do. So when you think about it, I'm a lot like Nancy's father because the work I do deals with people's wills or if they have no will, a trust. That's that's how I that's the practice I have. There was actually also another lawyer who did will and testaments. I'm not sure Nancy's father did it, but I think she did some of it. But I remember that there was another lawyer that Josiah Crowley went to before he died to make the first will, and then he made another one on his own using witnesses who were sick so that they wouldn't be able to tell anything. Well, uh, tell me about the, the will that ultimately was located. So to jump to the story, spoiler alert, Nancy does find another will. Yes, she does. The way she finds it is there was, she is hightailing a truck because, and she finds the truck at the Top Hams, who are the greedy family, the not so nice family, and at their little cottage on a lake, which her friend Helen, Helen Corning's aunt owns a camp there, a girl's camp. And she gets locked in there, and when she gets out, she goes to the ne- she finds the caretaker, and she and the caretaker um, go to the police station, and they follow the truck. And then Nancy finds the truck parked in a barn by uh, an inn, and she goes in it and opens it up, gets the clock, and hides in a trash bin when they leave. So she, so the police, once they leave, once the truck leaves. Nancy goes and gets the police, and the, the police person, the sheriff, calls another police car to go in front of the van and stop them. And, and then Nancy shows the um, will to her father, and then she gathers all the people, the top hams, Abby Rowan, who's the old lady, um, the Turners, the Hoover girls, and 
um, two brothers that I don't remember who they are, and she reads the will to them. And well, she doesn't. The lawyer does. Oh, uh, the lawyer reads the will to them, and the top hands aren't so happy. As you would expect, they wouldn't be because there's a later will, and they lose everything. The Matthews, Fred and William Matthews. The Matthews. Brothers, those yeah. are the two brothers. So, tell me about the Topums. Are they good guys or bad guys? Bad guys. Why? Because they're greedy, they're mean, and the two girls, uh, is it Ida and Isabel or Anna and Isabel, something like that. I remember one of them is Isabel. and uh, Isabel and Ada. Isabel and Ada. The two girls aren't so nice to Nancy, and Nancy, in return, doesn't really talk to them. So, Josiah Crowley was actually living with the Topham's, right? Yeah. And, and, and during the time he was living with them, he did this will. And then what did he do? And then he got a lawyer and asked the lawyer, how do I make my own will? So he went to his house. He got three um, witnesses and wrote the will and then hid it in a note. And it was in a mini notebook. Then he hid it in the clock and sold it to the Tophams, who didn't know there was the will inside of it. He sold the clock to the Tophams? Or he gave it or the Tophams got it because it was part of the will after he died. Yeah, it was whatever the deal was. It was a, it was Josiah's clock, and the Topham's ended up getting it. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this question: the Topham's were not nice people. Nope. And Josiah, did he do the will when he was living with the Topham's? Mm, no, I don't remember. I don't remember either. Actually, I think he was, and he started to get sick of the top hands and their mean ways. So he decided to go somewhere else, like to an office building, an empty office building, or lunch or something, and meet with these three people and make the will and then hide it so that it could not be found until after he died. And in fact, he got a safe deposit box at a bank in a different name so that nobody would know it was him, right? He put the safe deposit box under the name Josiah Johnson instead. And he didn't put it, he put it um, in a safe deposit box and he also left the key in the notebook with the will. Or he left the key in the notebook that, in the clock that's in, in the notebook that's in the clock that has where the, that has where, that the, this, the later will is located, use this key to get the will or something like that. So let me ask you this question. If he had done the will while he was living with the Tophams and they were such mean people and that was the only will, do you think that the story would have ended? Probably. Why? Because if there is no later will, Nancy has no need to go on this journey or if she does... It would be no use, and in that case, Caroline Keene wouldn't need to write the book because there would be no need to. Okay, well, but let's let's not talk about the story as it's told. Let's talk a little bit more globally. Okay. So let's say for the sake of an argument that Josiah goes to live with the Tophams, and he writes this will, and then he dies, and it turns out that the Tophams were very mean people. Mm -hmm. And they didn't treat Josiah very well. 
And in fact, you can see from the book that the Topham's expected, they were anticipating, they were relying on this money, right? The Topham's father, he had gone and made bets or he had spent money. Yes. And Um, and the the two girls, they'd gone and they'd spent all this money on dresses or whatever it was. So so everybody was relying on this money, right? Mm -hmm. So I was going to say something. So... Um, the top hands actually kind of were treating him nicely because I remember from the story that Mrs. Topham kind of stayed, watched over him, did his stuff for him. But in turn, I think he paid some to stay at the house, right? So, but if, if that's the case, then why did he not leave the will the way it was? Because he knew all these people, and he felt sorry for them being poor. And he knew them, he was good friends with them, and he said, these people ought to have some money or they're going to lose everything. Okay, but it, th- yes, that's true, but if the Topoms were nice people, then he could have left them something along with everybody else, right? I mean, he, yeah. he, he Josiah in the second will, he broke his, his will up into 20% here and 20% here and 20% here, or 10 here, whatever it was. So he could have done the same and included the Tophams in that. Why didn't he? Actually, he did include the Tophams. He gave the Tophams all the furniture, but not any of the money. And, and a little bit of money on top of that, right? Yeah, yeah, like five percent maybe. So, what? But why didn't he? Why do you think he did not? Why do you think he did not include the Tophams as part of the all-around all distribution? Because he knew they weren't nice people, and he knew they had a lot of money, and he knew they didn't deserve it. Okay, so let's let's talk about. We'll we'll put the deserving part away for a second. You said because he knew they were not nice people. If they were not nice people, why did he live with them? Well, maybe it was the only people that would want him to live with them because he couldn't live with somebody who was poor because then they couldn't do it. He couldn't. Why not? He had money of his own. He could have helped them out. If he went to live with the Turners or the Hoovers or Abby Rowan, he had his own money, right? The fact that they were poor didn't affect anything. I think the reason was he was also getting sick and he needed the certain kind of care that somebody who had money to pay for medicine and everything had. So he went to somebody who did it, no matter if they were mean or not, he went to them because he knew they would take care of him until until he died. But he was kind of wrong in that sense because they weren't as nice as he would have imagined. Well, let me ask you this question. Let's say for our discussion that Josiah went to live with the Tophams and they were very, very mean to him and they treated him poorly and he was getting sick, right? Yeah. And they said to him, let's call, let's say Mrs. Topham because she seemed to be particularly mean. Mrs. Topham said to Josiah, you know, I spend a lot of time taking care of you. I take you to doctors. I make sure that you're fed. I make sure that your sheets are changed. I make sure that you're getting your medicine. And you know what? I do that, and I don't get paid. So I tell you what. Hold on a second. I'll tell you what. I'll continue to do this for you, Josiah, but you have to make sure that I get everything in your will, that my family is taken care of. And if I, if you don't do that, if you, Josiah, do not write a will that leaves everything to me, I am going to stop taking care of you. Do you think that could have happened? 
Well, yes, but then if Josiah made that will, showed it to the Tophams, and put it away, he could have made a secret one that the Tophams didn't know about. I agree. I agree. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what if that was what happened, but that was the only will that he had made? Would that have ended would, – would that mean that the Tophams win and everybody else loses? Well, I'm, I think that Nancy, if she absolutely knew it was – the last will there was no other wills then she would have not done thing but i think she probably would have um tried to help all the poor people well let's let's take nancy out of the story because we're not talking i'm not talking about the book anymore i'm talking about a different situation i'm talking about a situation in which josiah crowley lives with the Toppums. Mrs. Topham says to him, give me everything in your will or I'm going to stop taking care of you. And he does. And then he never writes a later will. Do the Tophams win? If it, when Josiah dies and the Tophams say, we have this will, is that it? The Tophams get everything. If this is kind of like a baseball game, like if you think about it, it's the Tophams get a point, the poor people get a point, and it ends up the Tophams win because they get everything. They get the victory of all the money and everything. Well, it's not. No, 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 no. That, let's not. Um, maybe using the word win is the wrong word. That if, as the circumstances as I set them out were accurate, then the only will that exists is the one that leaves everything to the Tophams. And the Tophams say, here's our will. Give us everything. Is the discussion over is that it is there anything else that can be done about that will that josiah signed what do you think no there cannot be anything done there will be no fighting because it says there on the will i leave all my money furniture everything to the top hands and there is no later will he could have written that so so regardless of whether he actually loved the topoms and wanted to give them everything or he was forced to sign the will because Mrs. Topham said, if you don't sign it, I will stop taking care of you. It doesn't matter. The Tophams get everything. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is funny because this is what I do for a living, and the answer is no. The answer is no. The answer is when you create a will, it has to be of your own intention and, and your own free no. – your own free – action and if you do it will that is a product of duress or undue influence and duress meaning the situation i you're you basically feel like you are forced to leave the people this these assets because otherwise you will whatever it is you'll be harmed you'll be harmed in some way whatever it is that means that the will is executed under duress and in which case it's possible that that will could be thrown out as being invalid. Well, I understand what you're saying now, and I think that he should be allowed to write his own will, no matter what anybody else thinks. It should be, no. I've spoke to a lawyer. They say, I can't make a will. You can't make a will and make me sign it because I have to make the will myself. I have to say, well, I want that person to have something and I want that person to have something. 
he can't, you can't, you can't force me to say it. You can't say, you can't have a will that says, I leave all my money to the top hand because they have cared for me, blah, blah, blah. But, but do you see the situation that I'm suggesting, which is perhaps Mrs. Topham was acting like a bully. Now, do yeah. you think, do you think that Josiah Crowley, or let's put, change it up. Do you think that you would feel comfortable saying that to a bully? You can't force me to do this. I'm not going to do it. Or do you maybe turn around and walk away and keep what you want to do secret so that the bully doesn't find out about it? Well, if I were strong enough to do that, because I sometimes had that kind of that same kind of problem in, in school. A bully is talking to me, and I want to try to fight back. But then they start getting more people in on the act, and I decide that I want to get more people on my side, and then they win I, because I fought, I fought. So I feel if you're strong enough, if you know a lot of people, so if you think about it in this sense, say you made a will. You and somebody else says you have to force me to do it. You're strong enough to go ask other people to do it, right? Yeah, but think about it this way. Josiah Crowley was old, and he was sick, and he had no place, apparently, no place else to live, and nobody to take care of him. How strong is he going to be to stand up to Mrs. Topham and say, no, you're going to take care of me because you love me, and I'm going to leave my money to whoever I please. Do you think that he would have been powerful enough to do that? Not really, because if he's old and weak and sick, he probably can't think as well as he used to. He doesn't think about all all his friends the way he did when he was younger because he might be losing his memory because Mrs. Topham is shoving it with all this other stuff that all his friends and all stuff is getting shoved to the back of his mind where Mrs. Topham's word is right up front. So now let's look at it. So uh, point number one, meaning that even if... In our book, Nancy had not found a second will that a lawyer could argue that the will that was located, that left everything to the Tophams, could be challenged on the grounds that Josiah Crowley felt that he had to write the will leaving everything to the Tophams or else he would be put in some sort of peril, right? Yeah. So that could be argued. Now, so he does this second will. We know that he's living at the property with the Tophams because he's sick, right? So do you think that it's possible that after the second will is located, that the Tophams could argue that that second will is not valid? Any reason why they could have? Yes, they could have because they don't know if he said to this per- to said some to somebody as soon as i die i want you to write this will will doesn't no will cannot be written after somebody dies really it has to i be didn't know that the, the will is written by the person who is alive you cannot write a will for somebody after they die so this is about this is about josiah when he wrote the second will could the topums argue that that second will should be thrown out Yes, they could because if I would probably do that if I didn't want to lose all my money. But then again, I would argue that will's invalid because because it was written after, and this will said I leave I leave all the money to this person. Okay, but the the law says that the will you follow is the most recent one. 
So according to timing of the wills, the second will beats it because it's the most recent will. But tell me why that second will could be challenged by the Tophams. What do you think? Because Josiah Crowley might have been influenced by all the people saying, you have to put me in the will. Push, push that aside. There's, there's no evidence of that. We have nothing in the story that tells us that Josiah Crowley was being influenced by the Turners or the Hoovers or anybody else. So, so that's not your argument. Tell me what your other argument is. What argument can the Tophams put forward to say that the second will was invalid? He could um, say that, they could say that. Why was Josiah living with the Tophams? Because he had nowhere else to go. He, nobody else could. Not that. Keep going. Nobody else. He, he, uh. Tell me were, about him. About Josiah. He. He was. He was sick. Sick. He was sick. How can a sick person execute a will? Right? Yeah. I mean, we don't know what his sickness was. We don't know what his sickness was. But you can argue that maybe the sickness was mental. Maybe he didn't know what day it was. Maybe he didn't know who the president was. Maybe he was receiving medication because he had lost his memory. Are tho Those are reasons why that second will might not be a valid will. Yes, and... I understand what you're saying when you say that it could be an invalid will, but there's also the part that it was actually written sooner and it was signed because I remember it was written sometime in an April and he died in like a June or something, so it was that close of the same year, and the Topham's will, if I remember correctly, was written like last year. That You're absolutely correct, although... The fact that it was written only a couple months before he died actually could be arguments against the validity of that second will. Why? Well, if it's closer to the date that he died, the chances are his health was worse. If it was written a year before he died, maybe his health was better. If it was written the month before he died or the week before he died, his health's getting pretty bad, isn't it? Or the day before. His health is getting pretty bad. So, so... I think that the book the book does a nice job of cleaning it all up. And in fact, they argue at the end of the book that um, Mr. Topham went to an attorney and found out that there was nothing that could be done. That second will was ironclad, right? Yeah, but, what ironclad mean? Well, it means it can't be broken. But the, the suggestion I'm making to you is, and this is what my job as a lawyer is, is to figure out ways to potentially break some of those wills. I have a case right now uh, where... The gentleman passed away, and three days before he died, he executed a new will. And he left everything to his wife, which was, which was a, a, a second wife. No, it was a second wife. A second wife, and he specifically omitted, excluded, left nothing to his daughter. To his daughter. He left nothing to his daughter, and he left everything to his second wife. And this will was written... Two days before he died, he was in the hospital. And my job is to argue that that will is invalid. What are my basis for arguing it's invalid? If he was in the hospital, he couldn't have written it because he wouldn't have known what to say. If he was sick, if he, if he was losing his mind because he was sick, if he had already been put to sleep two days before or something like that, like so that they could get him to stop thinking and stop going crazy. And... 
You think you think when somebody's in the hospital, they're on a lot of medication? Of course. So you think that medication might have affected the way he thought? Yes, it might have affected his train of thought, and he might have forgotten to leave in some a little bit for his first wife, and and some, and like at least half for his daughter. Now let me give another suggestion to you. At the time that the will was written, two days, three days before he died, his wife was there at his bedside, and she's saying to him repeatedly, I'm the only one who comes to visit you. Your daughter has not been here in months. I, You have not seen your daughter in all this time. She can't be bothered to come visit you. I'm the only one who really loves you. How do you think that is going to affect things? That wouldn't work very well because maybe um, the the wife is trying to get him to do it, even though the daughter might have been there, but he might just not remember that the daughter was there two, three days before, and that he's been on so much medication that he forgot. And the wife is saying, "I'm the only one. I'm the only one who loves you." She's out there talking to her friends while you're sick. So if somebody writes a will when they are that sick, and when they are that misled by somebody who ends up benefiting because the wife in this situation, she gets everything. So it's in her best interest to influence her husband, right? Yeah. So if you have a will that's written under those circumstances, is it a valid will? Probably not. And I have one more question to ask you. Do you think the wife would give anything to the daughter out of sympathy because she didn't end up getting anything? Absolutely not. Honey, people are greedy. People are more like the Tophams than they are like anybody else. When they have money or when they see money, they will act inappropriately. Money, 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 money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> people will turn on their parents. People will turn on their siblings. People will turn on their children because of money. And that's the way you saw the Tophams. My belief in reading the book and kind of reading, I, I have the, the ability to read between the lines of this book because I know... I can I can infer, I can imply what's going on. Are you okay? Yeah. I can imply what's going on because I do this type of law for a living that I'm able to imply, infer that the Tophams were not nice people and they were not nice people to Josiah and that the Tophams forced him to write that first will. And so it's not unusual to me to be able to see that because I see a lot of it. And this instance I just told you about, the client I'm currently representing, this is exactly what's happened. We are now trying to argue that that will that was executed two days before he died was the product of his, his sickness and the wife lording over him that she was the only one who cared about him and that the daughter was never there. And that's why people pay me because I make those arguments. I assert those, those challenges to these wills. I have an um I have another thing to add to what if there were people like us you and me who don't care as much about money as being helpful to people do you think if you if papa wrote a will and said I give all my money to Rob do you think you would give some to uncle Phil and auntie Heather and and mommy Kenzie and I Wow, you really put me on the spot with that. How much, how much money are we talking about? Um, at, look, I, I will tell you that, yes, there are, there are people out there who will think of others, who will be mindful of the fact that there are other people who should be taken care of. However, 
However, let me give a different scenario. Let's say that Papa wrote a will and gave everything to me. And in that will, he specifically said, and I don't want anything to go to Uncle Phil because Uncle Phil and I have not spoken in 25 years. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to see him ever again. Then do you think I should give anything to Uncle Phil? Well, because he's your brother, maybe you should give a little bit to him out of because he's your brother and you and Uncle Phil have the same father and you've lived with him for all your life. But it's not my money and it's not what Papa wanted. Would you give any to Auntie Heather? It's not what Papa wanted. You have to understand in in the in a will situation, it doesn't matter what the people who were receiving it think. The important thing is, what did the person who made the will want? And the court will enforce the wishes of the person who made the will. They will, they will reject those wishes if it appears that those wishes are because some, were made because somebody was sick or somebody was being influenced to do it. But if you are able to determine that the will was written by somebody who knew exactly what they were doing and had no... Nobody lording over them or forcing them to do it. The court will say, that's what the rule is. We will follow their wishes. And if that means that they want to leave some money to this person and no money to this person, whether they're family members or not, then the court will force it. The courts will order that. Now, that doesn't mean that other people can't, after they get their money, decide to kick something back to those people. But the court is the deciding factor on this and their decision is if at all possible they're going to follow the instructions of the person who made the will and in our situation if papa said i want all the money to go to rob and none of the money to go to phil because phil stormed out he wasn't nice to me he took advantage of me i've given phil too much money over the years i'm not going to give him more then the answer is that's it what if long after Papa had died, you you and Uncle Phil and Auntie Heather and Arthur had become, they were losing money. Uncle Phil, his job was paying him less and less. Do you think you would end up giving him something just so he could pay for food? Yeah, of course, but that's a different story. That has nothing to do with a will. That has nothing to do with the decisions that the person who makes the will makes. That's that's me as a, a loving brother who would do that. And I hope that you would take care of Kenzie that way. But but that has nothing to do with the will. That's that's my decision. But would I feel as if if Papa were to pass away and the will says give everything to Rob, would I feel that I should split with him immediately? The answer is no, because no. that's what Papa wanted. You would probably wait until the um, the issue has been resolved and it's uh, a couple months after the court has made the decision and the court has had many others so they forgot about yours or they don't decide they want to do it anymore, then then you would give it to them. No. Really? If that's not what not? Papa wanted. If that's not what Papa wanted. If Papa did not want Uncle Phil to get anything... Why would I give him something? That's not what Papa wanted. Do you understand? Yeah. It's it's hard for you to grasp because of the way our family works. Our family is so close. And, and Uncle Phil are so close. You, you, me, everybody probably couldn't think of us separating. Right. But you have to understand. Our family is different. 
Our family is different from a lot of other people. The people that I deal with, my clients, they don't have the same relationships with their families that we do. They don't have the same relationships with their siblings. And if a sibling is, has the opportunity to get millions of dollars, they will lie, cheat, and steal to keep that money away from everybody else, even one of their siblings. They just will. So That is like not fair. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fair. It's just how people are. So we're going to close this up. You like the book? Of course I did. It was, it was like... Give me, give, give me your 10-second your review of the book. My 10-second review of the book is... Well, that's it, five seconds right there. <laughs> it was perfect. It, it had a little bit of mystery, but it also had a little bit of real-life facts and facts that anybody who knew about this, it would be easier for them to read the book because they'd understand it better. So, um, any interest in reading more, more of this, more of the books? Well, if we get to do a podcast on every single one, <laughs> I'm not reading any more of these books. I, I'm sorry. This one, I, I was laughing out loud at some of these things. I mean, the the fact that that all these people just so openly are telling Nancy that they have no money, <laughs> and that they're beneficiaries of a will that doesn't exist, or maybe doesn't. It was. It was a little bit too clean for me, but I understand that it needs to be sanitized for younger readers. It has to be made easier for you guys to read. But I'll tell you what, you had mentioned to me that one of the things that you didn't like about the books is that it doesn't provide a synopsis about the book. So if I go online and I figure out what these books are about and I tell you and you feel okay with it, are you going to read more? Maybe, depending on if there's more mysteries I want to read that I might like better, or if there's more books and I just don't get around to reading them, but I'm pretty sure I'll read them once, sometime. All right, so we'll close up with that, because uh, dinner's ready, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry. Uh, I think we're having Italian food, which is good. Um, so do uh, you want to say goodbye? Bye, everyone. All right, so that was Brooklyn. This is Rob Cohen uh, for Book Therapy. You can find me at Book Therapy 13, which is my Twitter, uh, booktherapy.podbean.com. Uh, I'm on Goodreads, Rob Cohen 13. You can find me on my other Twitter account, Rob Cohen 13, uh, booktherapy13 at gmail.com, whatever. Find me. Um, and uh, as always, I am looking for and I am open to recommendations of other books. Um, so until then, this is Rob Cohen for Book Therapy saying thank you for letting me lie on your couch. <laughs>